Hello, I'm Joyce. I'm June. And I'm Paula. We're the Cabinet Sisters and we'd like to welcome you to our series of Count Me In podcasts where we continue to shine a light on childhood sexual abuse and its impacts. In today's podcast, we will be looking at the psychological impacts of childhood sexual abuse and discussing how they manifested for each of us in our lives. Loads of people asked us, how did we get past our abuse? How did we get over it? And how can we laugh at it today? And we didn't know, so because we, we didn't take notes as we were going through our lives. So we had to sit and have discussions and see what fit for us anymore, what, what behaviours were related to our abuse. And in fact, we were horrified to find out everything that we did and taught and felt, all our behaviours were all related and damaged from our abuse. We also discovered that the tools we used to survive didn't just switch off. We continued to use them in our adult life, although we weren't aware of that. They're called coping mechanisms. They saved us in our childhood, but they do have an adverse effect in your adult life. We did talk a lot about how did we survive the abuse. And in particular, I do remember having loads of talks about what did you do while you were being abused? And I know we all did different things, but for me, when the rape was happening, I could see myself from the minute he clicked his fingers until it was over, walking down the long corridor. And as I walked down the corridor, it was getting darker and darker. And there was a door at the end. I used to open the door, go in and sit and close the door and go in and sit in the corner. And the room was pitch black. And for most of the time, I don't remember anything else other than when it was over, coming back out. I was thinking of that too. And... I remember through the abuse, as the as the rapes would be happening, several things used to happen to me. Some, I mean, a lot of it I don't even remember, but I do often remember picking a spot, a corner up in the ceiling and just staring at it until the abuse was over. And I didn't realise, you know, that that was a coping mechanism. I didn't ever think of it. But I also remember several occasions uh, feeling that I was actually standing behind dad when he was raping me it w- and I also didn't realize until we discussed that years later that that's a fairly uh, common phenomenon that happens with rape victims I think I did a few different things at different times because like you do and I definitely picked a spot and although it did never remove the pain of what was happening it definitely gave some form of escape I don't even know how to explain that, but I know I was somewhere else in my head. Even going further back than that, I used to have to stick my hand nearly in my mouth. It was to stop the sound of me crying because I knew that upset me. And I'd pay for anyway. Another thing I used to do was I, you know, we used to wear the petticoat, the slips, like, you know, the cotton slips. Before my time. Mm, me too. Ah, get over yourselves. <laughs> You sound like a little house on prairie. No, well, actually, it did look something something (laughs) like that. But I either had a petticoat or a vest. I used to wrap my hands and kind of pull it out so I didn't have to see. Because certain things really upset me. The smell was one of them. Yeah. (gasps) Yeah. I learned to actually breathe through my mouth so I couldn't smell. It didn't always work, but it was one of the things I used. You know, I used to try and say... Think about Christmas, think about Christmas, think about something happy. You know, that didn't work. But seemingly just staring at the one spot definitely helped. It did give me some form of escape. I do remember because he smelled so bad. 
breathing through my mouth. Now, in all fairness, what that meant was you tasted the smell as well as smelling the smell. So it didn't really help. But I know, I, I, I actually cannot breathe through my nose now without having panics. I only ever breathe through my mouth. All the family know that you hate smells yeah. and you're very particular I'm, they're, about They're triggers. They're real yes, triggers. Yeah. Even the air freshener. <laughs> the way I process my emotions and the lack of processing my emotions is exactly the same way I do not process smells. It's the association with anything that is, is coming at me that strong. Yeah. That triggers me. So it really doesn't matter if it's a good or a bad smell. It's the I don't distinguish between them. I have a sense that from the instant the rapes began, I closed in. From the moment the abuse started, I withdrew all of my energy, that everything went inwards. That's where I began that inability to know what was going on around me because I just brought everything back in. And it was a coping mechanism. I didn't know that at the time. This is only on reflection. And after all the work that we've done, I could now see it and I can now verbalize it I can understand it. Well when you it. think the way we described our school experiences mainly when attention was brought to us you spoke about how you went completely blind all you saw was white. That's it. I you cried. cried all the time. But no it wasn't a normal cry it was an absolutely inconsolable wail and Paula we, we know I'm waiting for it God I'm waiting for it. <laughs> she shares up. It's only with hindsight that I understand your natural desire is to get away from danger. And when you can't, then yes, you do internalize everything. So because I couldn't get away from anything that I perceived as dangerous or threatening, the only expression I had was to lose control internally. Again, I wouldn't have put any of that together. No, me neither, because all the tears I shed in school, I would have never made a connection that had anything to do with what was going on at home. And that was because we had... We'd parked it somewhere in order to carry on with our lives. As adults, that bringing all of your energy in just to survive meant trust was damaged. You didn't, um, you didn't explore very much. You stayed within the confines of what you felt was safe and comfortable. I remember only a couple of years ago when we returned to education and did the degree course and they asked, what did I hope to get out of this? And I remember thinking, I just want to know what's going on around me. You know the way horses have these blinkers on yeah. where they can only see a space right in front of them. And I felt that's the way I'm after living my life. I only saw what I needed to see. Because anything anything other, other any, that was overwhelming. That was, and it wasn't safe. Yeah, and it was frightening. Yeah, And this is partly why we had to go and research what was going on to understand that what was going on was a normal reaction to what was happening at home. We learned very young never to look back. Because when we left the bedroom after being raped, we had to go down and try and function normally, playing out with our friends or whatever we had to do. We carried on, but we never, ever looked back. Mm. And that it all makes sense now. But like without that knowledge, without that understanding, you're walking around with the belief there is seriously something wrong with you. Yeah. You know, you think about it. We wrote our first book, Click Click. We learned so much about ourselves in that book, so yeah. much. We were able to purge a lot of pain through that book. Yeah. And yes, when people asked us questions, every time we went to a talk or we were in a women's group or whatever, everyone asked the same questions and we just laughed 
you know, how did you get out? How did you get this far that you can actually laugh? You know, we laughed about it, but we couldn't actually answer them. And it was only in trying to discover, let's just look at what we did. How did we get through it? It was only through that process yeah. that we actually discovered, Jesus, like, we're still doing that. Yeah. Because that, it's all unconscious. Yeah, it is And if you never did any delving or looking, you'd live out your whole life like that and never know any different. Yeah. And there's times on the journey where you nearly wish that's what you did. Yeah. You know, because it can be tough. There's realisation and trying to change the things you're not but happy it's about. it's also very freeing to, to be able to fully understand yourself because when you fully understand, it does help you to forgive yourself. Yeah, and you feel like you've arrived somewhere, yeah. that you're, you're, you're now present, you're awake, you know what's happening. Before we got that, we actually started to accept that this is it. This is who we are. We never even made the connection with this is only who we are because of. I didn't know there was anything wrong. I thought it was us. So after writing the first book, we thought we had, you we know, had a yeah, that we knew. Well, we thought we were really well down the road until those questions were asked. And we realized people need more information. We had to find out the answers for ourselves first. And that was the shocker. There is gratitude there, too, because if we didn't write that first book, we'd have never been able to write the second one. Yeah. And the second one was the one that provided the answer. Yeah. You have to be willing to to see where you step out of life, because I think it's that disconnection and that coming out from from the life that's around you that actually leads people. To, but to be so overwhelmed by the pain you're feeling, that suicide appears like a really good option because you think you're never going to get past the pain and being able to engage in life. You really noticed you were disconnected sexually. I realized I was totally disconnected from myself. When I was in bed, and you know, it's not that it was horrible or anything like that. I definitely knew what I didn't want, and I knew what I would no longer accept. But I realized how disconnected I was from my body. And I realized that it took an awful lot of effort for me to enter and to be present with what was happening. And that's why I'm saying that even knowing it doesn't cure it, but it definitely is less painful. I would find that easier to accept that I had issues in that area because of my experience and it wouldn't have hassled me. But when I have issues, I'm cooking three different meals and I don't cook one for myself and I don't realize I haven't cooked one for myself and I don't realize I'm fucking starving. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I have to constantly check in and that, that can be annoying. I'd say a lot of people will relate to that and even the fact you were talking about the suicidal ideation yeah. there, that is still here today for us on a bad day. Now, thankfully, the bad days are a lot further apart, but it is important to know that there, there's good and bad days. Even after you've done your work, it does take a long time. It's not as painful because most of my life I would have been absolutely, totally disconnected. But I didn't know that. And I wondered, was there something wrong with me? Because nothing made me happy, nothing made me sad. Uh, we've all discussed walking away from relationships at different stages and feeling absolutely nothing. We all questioned our ability to love. to love. And then we thought, you know, that just confirms we're bad people. Fight or flight is a natural body response to keep you safe. And just because we are disconnected from it, and we disconnected very young because it was too constant, doesn't mean it was gone or it switched off. We were just totally disconnected from ourselves. It's how we continue to live. 
and it's like living on high risk all of the time when you think of it like mammy we witnessed that a total disconnect yeah, yeah. like dead. we had we had no access to her emotionally she had no access to her emotionally for as long as i can remember and she she wouldn't be aware of it the only option she had to her was to kind of build this wall around her heart make herself um as unemotionally available as possible so she wouldn't be hurting anymore like you can look back at yourself now and go ah oh god like you know i was absolutely doing my best isn't it? Oh, isn't it a miracle that I'm after managing to get through that? Look at the, how clever I was, the ways I found to release, you know, frustration, anger, whatever it was, sadness. The ways we all coped were uniquely different, but there was a lot of overlap. We have a lot of similarities in the way we responded. But ultimately, we're incredible that we got through that and we did it all unconsciously. It was like that fight or flight, all right. You're not disconnected from it. You're living out of it. But you're living out of it permanently to the point where it's a norm. And now what grows out of that is that, you know, tunnel vision that we got, that we were completely inverted. Everything was, the world did literally revolve around you because you knew nothing else. It wasn't safe to know anything else. And we knew that instinctively uh, from a child. We all were aware that the disconnection was continuing to happen with us. And it was only through research that the disconnect is not just with your body. It's your thoughts, your memories, your feelings, your actions and your sense of who you are. Yeah. And when we discovered there is actually a title for that and it's a normal response to childhood trauma. It's called disassociation. We have researched it. There was no news in it for us, only a name. That you dissociated from something that was so hurtful, so harmful, that you dissociated from it to protect yourself. And once you're aware of it, you can then release it because you can see you've outgrown it and it served its purpose. And in fact, what saved you when you were younger becomes your enemy as you get older. It does you more harm because you have outgrown it. There is no, no need for it. And it's now time, you know, and that takes a while to get that message uh, to filter down into your body. Becoming self-aware and conscious of what's happening in your own body is hard work. is a constant it's not something i'm going to do it now and all is sorted it's a constant check-in on a daily basis because of the adjustments we made as children and we didn't make them consciously it was the, it's an automatic thing the body does to protect you and keep you safe but through that process i can see very clearly now where I lost all sense of me. Yeah. How I became what I thought was acceptable. I knew if I cried and moaned and asked him to stop, I'd get a clout, but also he would be extremely angry. And at young age, I would have read that as he won't love me, so I have to be wherever he needs me to be to be loved and develop a personality from that. And then to discover that that's not who I am. The benefit for me in finding out that I had dissociation disorder, it just validates the work that we've been doing somehow. It is incredible how we've all reacted and responded, given that we feel a lot of it was the same, like it impacted us the same. How we worked through it and how it manifested in each of our lives was different. True awareness and understanding naturally follows forgiveness. It all pays dividends on your journey towards wholeness and finding out who you actually are. 
The decision to heal from childhood sexual abuse places you on the most important journey of your life. You're in charge of this journey. Only you know what works for you and what doesn't. It takes as long as it takes because there's no rush in it and there's no fake in it. You have to feel it. And just as the ripple of pain that you're in goes out and impacts all of those around you, so does the healing. And the more you heal, the more everyone around you benefits. Thank you for listening. Hopefully some of the information we have shared will resonate with you. This will give you a deeper understanding of yourself, plus allow you to move into a space where you can show compassion to yourself. Please know that no matter how you feel or how you reacted to the abuse, it was normal. We are hopeful and optimistic that those in any position of power to bring about change will be moved into action so we can finally eradicate childhood sexual abuse. So please spread the word and share the information. Thank you. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter or contact us directly on thecavernasisters at gmail.com. You've been listening to the Cavanagh Sisters Count Me In podcast. We're going to leave you with a quote which you can carry with you throughout your day. Children who are sexually abused believe they are bad and so they learn not to look inside. As adult survivors, it's painful to turn that around, but that's exactly what needs to happen because only through looking inside can you find the answers you seek and of course the truth that you are never bad.